MacCast, Monday, September 18th, 2023. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Apple hints, tips, tricks, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How are you doing? I hope you are doing well. I've been uh, not so well lately. I was hoping to have this this episode out a little bit earlier, but, you know, it didn't work out that way. I kind of wasn't feeling well, but I am all good now. And uh, we definitely have things to talk about, right? We had an Apple event. Yep, new Apple Watches, new iPhones, all to discuss. We're going to get into my thoughts and opinions on those. We'll talk about it a little bit, and hopefully we'll hear back from you on some of your thoughts and opinions, what you think of all of the new products and things that Apple announced. And that's going to be the bulk of the news for this week. I mean, we really have that to get into. But then... A lot of feedback from the community on recent things we've been talking about on the MacCast. We have some feedback about the Apple event itself. We're going to talk about upgrading iOS because there are new versions of iOS out. So I have a question related to that. We're going to get into some of the feedback on battery replacements. And I have some more information for you there. Uh, We're going to talk more about replacing older Drobos. And I guess this kind of extends probably to other NAS devices or uh, like RAID-based storage and stuff like that. And we've got a lot of great feedback from the community uh, on that. And then I have a question about Time Machine. And that will round out this episode of the MacCast. So it should be a very, very good one. Strap in. We are going to get right into the Apple announcements. And I think where I want to start with this, I've been trying to think about this pretty hard because I don't want to come come across as sounding disappointed in what Apple announced. And I'm definitely not. They have some really nice new updates and new products and things like that. But I overall, I think it's solid. Uh, solid updates is maybe the way to say it. But not a lot of standouts. There are some standouts, and we'll talk about those. There are some very exciting things, but it's sort of limited to specific products, and you have to be kind of in the market for that. And so I think what we're seeing, and this is reasonable, is that we have a very mature product line. I mean, we're in, you know, the ninth generation of the Apple Watch. We're in the 15th generation of the iPhone what more can be done? There is just not a lot. So Apple has done a lot of nice enhancements and updates, but I think we're at the point where, and we'll talk more about this, where, you know, maybe you don't need one of these new devices every year. I guess you never technically did, but those of us who love these products like to upgrade. And if there's a lot of great new features and enhancements that incentivizes you to do so. And I guess I feel like this year, there's not as much incentive, even for us, you know, uh, fans of Apple products, those of us who usually jump in and, and are the first early adopters. So let's talk a little bit about new Apple Watches. So two new Apple Watches, uh, Series 9 and the update to the Ultra, the Ultra 2. 
big thing around here is that there is a brand new processor. And so this is pretty exciting. The A9 SIP uh, system in package, I think is what SIP stands for. Apple didn't mention that, but that's in there. Um, what's nice about this is it's faster up to 30% faster, according to Apple. And I think more importantly, they uh, really beefed up the neural engine. Uh, It's four cores, it's twice as fast. And what's really big here is that there's a lot more onboard Siri. So you can do a lot more with Siri offline. It doesn't have to go out to uh, check on things. Also, dictation is supposed to get a lot more accurate on device and so that's great for an Apple Watch because there's not a lot of great inputs and, and voice and and interacting with Siri is the way to go with that. Now, another kind of big new feature that they highlighted is what they're calling double tap. It's a gesture kind of like with the Vision Pro where you can uh, double tap your fingers and the watch will use its sensors and, and technology to detect that gesture that motion and you can trigger a number of different things you can actually configure that um, however you want to do a bunch of different actions including launching like siri shortcuts so you can have it activate the flashlight and you can you know do a bunch of different things so you can tweak that and presumably that'll be also uh, adaptable by developers and something that developers can leverage i would hope within their apps as well What's interesting about this and maybe a little bit frustrating to me, though, and a little bit confusing is this is a Series 9 only feature and, uh, and you know, App, oh, Apple Watch Ultra 2 only feature. But what con- what's confusing to me about this feature is there's actually an accessibility feature that we've had for a while, and it's compatible all the way back to the Apple Watch Series 4, and it's called Assistive Touch. And... If you've ever messed around with it, it's pretty amazing, and it doesn't have just one gesture. It actually has four, so you could do a pinch, a double pinch, a clench where you clench your fist, or a double clench where you double clench your fist, and you can activate all kinds of actions and things with that technology. Um, I'm going to link to some information about it in the support system at apple.com in the show notes if you want to check out more, but... You know, I don't know. I'm going to have to dig in and try and figure out what makes Double Tap extra special or different than Assistive Touch and why is it restricted to the Series 9 other than Apple wanting people to upgrade, right? They're highlighting this feature, but, you know, play around with the accessibility thing and see what you think. So if you're worried that you're missing out on Double Tap, um, mess around with this, the Assistive Touch and see if that doesn't do something for you. So uh, that was a little bit odd and weird, but is a cool new feature. Uh, They also have updated ultra wideband in the SIP. That's going to enable more precision finding uh, of that. There's an improved heart rate sensor and um, a much brighter display. Twice the brightness of the Series 8. It now goes to 2,000 nits, and then even on the other end, all the way down to 1 nit, which is very, very low light. So that's for like theater situations and and that sort of thing. Um, There is a new color option in a pink, and uh, as we had heard rumored, Apple is phasing out leather in their lineup, and that means any of their leather bands are going to be replaced by this new 
fine woven material. Now, fine woven Apple Watch brands use 68% post-consumer recycled material. And uh, I, it sounds like they're going to kind of have like almost a soft um, suede-like texture to them. So it's got a little bit of texture to it. Uh, I'll be interested to see what that material is like. I personally am a fan of more natural materials um, and not plastics. I mean, essentially, this is a plastic material. It's made from, you know, recycled material, which is a good thing. Apple says they're doing it for environmental reasons. You know, again, I think there's a lot of back and forth on this and we need to kind of see through some of the marketing hype when this stuff comes out. So I applaud every effort to be environmental and do environmental things, but there are trade-offs that happen here too. So yes, you know, leather is a material and it has some environmental impact, but so does a plastic that doesn't biodegrade, right? You have leather that will biodegrade. Now, again, the leather cases are, you know, wrapped around, it's leather glued and wrapped around plastic. So we can argue that point as well. But I think you see my point here is like, we can talk about environmental initiatives and marketing and stuff like that, but there are always trade-offs and very often we don't get all sides of the story. I am a big fan of leather. I like how it wears. It's going to be interesting to see how this material does. But, you know, I understand what Apple is doing here. And uh, we'll just have to see how this stuff works out. So uh, with the Ultra 2, you kind of get all that same sort of stuff. The S9 double tap, uh, a much brighter display. This one actually goes up to 3000 nits max brightness now. So that is, you know, like looking at the sun blinding bright, I think. Um, and uh, trying to think of anything else that's new in the Apple Watch Ultra. It's same design. You know, it's got the action button. Apple advertised, again, more marketing stuff. Apple advertised that it now will have a 72-hour battery life in low power mode. I think it was 60 hours previously. But the smart folks over at Mac Rumors saw something in the fine print. They noted that Apple tweaked the testing parameters between Apple Watch Ultra 1 and Ultra 2 a little bit. And if you look at it, um, the 72-hour time has fewer time checks, uh, just two hours of workouts versus 15 hours of trail walking. And uh, they did up the app usage a lot uh, to 180 minutes in the new test versus 35 minutes in the previous test. But there were tweaks there, right? So it does make you question if you tested the Apple Watch Ultra 1 under the same parameters, would it also get a 72-hour battery life? Potentially. Uh, we don't really know. It'll be interesting to see if someone actually tests that out. Um, so again, just something to be aware of. Um, the watches have proven very popular. They've gone on sale. Um, they're going to be shipping. And, uh, you know, we are already seeing shipping delays on the Apple Watch Ultra 2. Um, the other thing is that both watches now come with a ton of internal storage. This was another thing that I don't think Apple talks about, but was noted is now they come with 64 gigabytes of internal storage, which is really nice for 
things like media and music and stuff like that. So you can really offline a lot of your content, have that available on your Apple Watch. So like I said, nice little enhancements and updates here. Uh, nothing earth shattering, but really good, really solid. So then we move on to iPhone 15, iPhone 15 Plus. These are basically, and Apple's been doing this the last couple of years, this is basically the iPhone 14 Pro and 14 Pro Max in new packaging with one less camera. You're getting a lot of the same system specs. There are some updates here, um, but you're going to have the A16 Bionic, which is the processor that was, you know, last year's iPhone 15 Pro and Pro, or 14 Pro and Pro Max models, excuse me. Uh, the new iPhones are getting the new ultra wideband chip. So you're going to have that advantage. They still come in the 6.1, 6.7 inch display sizes, but Apple did bump up the max brightness. So this, this seemed to be the year for brighter displays. So max brightness on the iPhone 15, 15 plus is 2000 nits. So nice and bright. As expected, moving from Lightning to USB-C, I think it's important to point out that USB-C on the iPhone 15 and 15 Plus is still limited to the same transfer speeds in terms of the data as USB 2.0. So 480 megabits per second. Uh, the controller is the main reason for that, you know, what's in the chip. Um, there is a new main camera, 48 megapixel main camera. That's going to allow up to a 2x optical zoom. So that's a nice enhancement to the main camera. Um, you are now getting dynamic island support, right? Just like last year's iPhone Pro models. And um, then there are new colors. And I really like the new materials that are here. So they have new colors with dyes that are actually embedded in the glass. Um, there's pink, yellow, green, blue, and black. But what Apple has done with the glass this year is they've gone to a textured matte finish. And I think that's going to feel really nice in the hand. Uh, I, I'll be uh, curious to get my hands on one of these to see what they actually feel like. But I have a feeling they're going to feel really, really nice. I just like textured finishes on glass. I think it, it creates a nice satin feel. Also probably a little bit more grippy for people who, um, who struggle with that. They do have the same starting prices, so prices did not go up. We didn't expect them to. iPhone 15 starts at $799 US, and iPhone 15 Plus starts at $899 US. I think it's worth noting uh, what Apple did discontinue. There is now no more iPhone mini. Uh, the iPhone 13 mini has been discontinued, but Apple is still continuing to offer an iPhone SE, uh, the iPhone 13, and the iPhone 14 at uh, lower price points. So if you need to get a phone at a little bit lower price point, you do have some options. But if you were a fan of that mini size, uh, it's no longer available. Who knows if Apple will ever bring that size back. We seem to be getting bigger and bigger over the years and, and not uh, not going back to the smaller sizes. But then every couple years, right, Apple brings out <laughs> something like the mini. So maybe it'll happen again. We'll have to uh, wait and see. Only time will tell on that. And then uh, we did not get color matched uh, braided cables. There are braided cables uh, for USB-C, but they're white uh, not color matched to the phones. That was one of the rumors we had, I think, discussed previously. So that did not happen. And then we move on to the main event, the iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max. 
Big news here is this is where you're going to get most of your updates and even more of those updates, as we expected, were reserved for the Pro Max. So Apple really trying to push people towards the top end of the line with the feature set, in my opinion. Uh, we have the new A17 Pro chip in both models. That's using Apple's new 3 nanometer process. Uh, same number of cores on the CPU, six cores, but they're bumped up, so they're faster uh, because of the new process. Um, you have now a six-core GPU, though. Apple really focused in on the GPU. They're doing a lot of stuff with gaming. Uh, they've got some AAA titles coming to the iPhone, supposedly because of this. It has uh, accelerated hardware ray tracing built in. It's 20% faster. So kind of the big news in this new chip was the GPU and also, again, the neural engine. Apple really focusing on that AI uh, technology. They doubled the neural engine with 16 cores, so that's ultra fast. They also, because of USB-C, and these do get USB-C, added in a USB-C controller to the A-series processor. Uh, you're going to be able to transfer at up to 10 gigabits per second, uh, but not Thunderbolt speeds. We did not th see Thunderbolt, so this is pure USB-C, and it's important to note, I think, that it is standard USB-C. So Apple has implemented it as standard. There's no MFI stuff like we had been hearing about, um, so we don't need to worry about that. But we're not seeing Thunderbolt. Whether that'll be enabled, able to be enabled, that's probably how I want to say that, uh, we have to wait and see. It's not really clear at this point. Um, the other thing Apple did was, and again, they don't talk about RAM in iPhones, but they did up the RAM to eight gigabytes versus six gigabytes from last year's model. You have the new ultra wideband support. And interestingly, these are the first phones to support thread mesh networking. So they will support that. I don't know how that's going to be leveraged. Uh, I would imagine with some kind of peer to peer stuff. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what maybe developers and, and Apple does with that. Um, these are the first new iPhones to feature a new material in a while. I guess that's another probably very exciting thing. Uh, titanium, as we thought, uh, you have much thinner bezels, uh, kind of softer rounded edges and that textured matte matte back glass the back glass is also more repair, repairable and replaceable uh so that's kind of good news uh, i love the titanium look they've got some various colors i've heard that uh maybe the black or the blue might have some scratching issues so we'll have to see when that comes out they did go with a brushed texture on it which should help but uh, getting that color to stick to titanium is a tough thing. I remember this back from back in the days when we had titanium MacBook MacBooks. Do you guys remember that? Uh, there was actually paint you could buy to cover up some of the scratches. So if you're worried about that, you might want to go with the more natural color. They also have a white. Um, so various colors of titanium, and I think they look gorgeous. They are a really, really nice phone and supposedly a lot lighter in terms of the weight, something that's noticeable in your hand. So that's a nice little enhancement. And then we have the star of the show when it comes to iPhone pros, I think uh, it, really the camera systems. And Apple really did focus on that quite a bit. You have the 48 megapixel main camera. It's going to be able to be operated in 24, 28, and 
35 millimeter modes and it sounds like you're going to be able to set a preference so it'll automatically go to whichever one you prefer uh, portrait mode has a really cool new feature now where uh, it has focus control so you can actually apply the effect after you take the image you don't have to remember going to go into portrait mode uh, you can shoot your photo apply portrait mode later you can even change where the focus is in that image so that is a really cool new feature of this phone uh, probably the one thing that almost got me to upgrade and then on the max we do have a 5x telephoto lens 120 millimeter equivalent uh, we had expected this might go to 6x but it sounds like apple went a little bit different with the lens technology we had we had been talking about a periscope lens apple is actually using something called a tetraprism lens um, so it's a little bit different probably why the telephoto is not as large as maybe some other phones but i think it brings some enhancements in uh in terms of quality so apple went that route also it takes up a lot less space in the phone so that part <laughs> the fact that it uses less space kind of makes me a little bit more upset that this feature is exclusive to the large uh, iphone max model feels like they could have got this into the pro and this is simply a move to push people more toward that higher end model but again just my opinion uh, and my thinking on that uh, you do have the ultra wide lens 13 millimeter that's going to be great for landscape and macro uh, another kind of cool new enhancement is these uh, phones i'm assuming because of the USB-C now allow you to shoot directly to a mac or to external storage so that's going to be great for people uh, who are doing especially like large video uh, projects and things like that and um, i was not expecting this I, I was expecting this feature to come but i was not expecting this feature to come this year these phones will eventually allow you to capture and shoot spatial video for the Vision Pro. That's that special video format uh, that you can view on the Vision Pro that's supposed to be incredibly real and lifelike. And um, I was expecting this to eventually come to the iPhone uh, because, you know, shooting that just on the Vision Pro kind of has to take you out of the moment so it's good to know that if you get a new iphone 15 pro model you'll be able to shoot this video and watch it back on your vision pro pro but i mean that is a very limited uh set of people who are going to be able to take advantage of that early on right it's going to be a while before vision pro or apple vision expands out to enough people where this is really going to matter but it was nice to see apple put that in there and i think it's important for the launch of the vision pro apple did talk about the launch of the vision pro a little bit they said it's on track to be out early next year or next year so uh we're going to stay tuned for that and uh then these new phones did uh the new pro models do have an action button what's interesting about this one is it really only has one mode so it goes in the same position as the mute switch um, its default action is to act as a mute switch uh, so you press and hold to mute or unmute there's some animation and some feedback that you get in the dynamic island to let you know what it's doing but it's also programmable within the operating system so you can have it start a voice memo you can choose to have it launch the camera flashlight magnifier uh, apple translate you can access accessibility features or even run a shortcut with the action button uh, it 
does sound like it just has a single function, at least at the operating system level. Again, I assume this is going to be accessible by developers and developers will be able to build within their app uh, things for the uh, for the action button. And I think in individual apps, the action button will do certain things like you know, for the camera app. I think you can use it as your shutter and all that fun stuff. Uh, I think we already talked about some of the new colors. You got a natural titanium, a white, a blue, also black. Uh, prices for the Pro model are starting at the same price as last year. Uh, $999 US, that's for 128 gigabytes of storage. On the Max, they did go up $100, although technically you could argue that they didn't because the starting storage is 256 gigabytes. So it's the same price as the 256 gigabyte uh, iPhone 14 Pro Max was starting at US $1199, um, but then the storage sizes go up from there. So it's kind of a $100 price increase, but some people are arguing maybe not. I, I, I say it went up 100 bucks. <laughs> Regardless, uh, they already went into pre-sale. They're going to be shipping on the 22nd, so just in a couple days here. And um, we're already delayed to mid-October, November on a lot of the combinations. Uh, the Max model started slipping within hours. We knew that was going to happen. Uh, there's you know supply chain issues uh, with specifically, it sounds like that Tetra Prism lens, that's a new component. It's very hard, uh, for them to produce might be one of the reasons too, why they limited it to just one model. So, you know, it might not just be a space thing. It might be just an availability of the component. And they knew that a lot of people were going to be going for the pro max. As a matter of fact, Ming-Chi Kuo already noted that the 15 pro max is showing higher demand this year than the iPhone 14 pro max did last year. The iPhone 15 Pro, he says, is slightly lower than the iPhone 14 Pro, and that the 15, 15 Plus models are kind of selling through about at the same rate as last year. So really, that Pro Max model is going to be the one that's going to be hard to get your hands on. I think also different colors. I have a feeling the natural titanium is going to be one of the most popular, probably followed by the blue. It'll be interesting to see where people fall on that one. And, uh, you know, some of the newer colors on the iPhones are going to be probably the ones that are harder to come by. I was doing a little poking around, and if you do have an Apple store near you, you might have a little bit better luck. Uh, it looks like shipping times have slipped, but some models seem to be probably still available early on in Apple retail stores. So if you're looking for a specific combination or a model, you're probably going to want to check the website or the app frequently and see you know, how timings work out in case you missed, you know, the original sell dates. But yeah, I mean, these are nice, again, nice enhancements to the iPhone 15, 15 Pro Max. But ultimately, you know, when I saw the announcement, because I'm not a large phone guy, um, other than the new material, you know, the action button, we'll have to wait and see. But other than the new material for me, uh, without having the additional telephoto lens just didn't feel like this year it was enough to push me over the edge and this is the first year i'm not updating my iphone and i'm actually really good with it i love my iphone 14 pro 
It is a great phone. Um, now, one of the reasons I'm doing it is because I'm also planning on getting the Vision Pro. And as we know, that is a very pricey product. So I'm choosing to keep some money in the bank, use what I would have spent on my iPhone, put that toward my Vision Pro. It'll take some of the sting away, although that's still going to be a big sting, especially considering that I have... Uh, that I wear glasses and I have no idea how much prescription lenses are going to cost for the vision pro, but I imagine it's going to be a lot. So that's going to be a big purchase for me. Um, where I may end up regretting the decision of not getting a new phone is not having the ability to capture spatial video outside of the Vision Pro. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes for me. But, you know, that's just my choice. And I know a lot of you are upgrading and have chosen to upgrade and are very excited about these phones. And uh, we'll hear from some of you uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But that's all the latest with kind of the main announcements. Now on to some of the other stuff. We already talked about Apple uh, reducing leather. So no more leather watch bands, no more leather Apple cases. They're going with a new fine woven material. Um, there was a warning that uh, MagSafe adapters and accessories might leave slight imprints on the fine woven material. And that kind of makes sense because you're basically crushing it. You know, it's got a suede-like texture. So uh, if that's something that bothers you, you might want to avoid a fine woven case. Apple recommends maybe going with a different option. I have a feeling it'll be totally fine. I mean, even my leather iPhone case kind of has a slight worn area where MagSafe connects. So I think that's just normal wear and probably won't bother most people. Um, a very exciting announcement, and this is great even if you have an iPhone 14, and I was glad to see this, is uh, emergency roadside assistance via satellite uh, from AAA. Um, that's going to be available and rolling out slowly in the U.S. this year in certain areas. But yeah, you'll be able to use the satellite system if you're out of cell service to get some roadside assistance. And you'll get that if you're a AAA subscriber. You can also, I think, get one-time assistance uh, for a fee and stuff through Apple. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. But I think that's a great new enhancement to satellite. And hopefully that rolls out to other parts of the world. Obviously, Apple might have to find different partners, but um, I expect that to happen. The new uh, phones do support Qi 2 wireless charging. As we thought, uh, Apple does have it. Um, the specification has been finalized, but here's the thing. No devices, including these new iPhones, have been certified on it yet. So interesting thing to know is that means for now, if you want faster wireless charging, you're still going to need to go with MagSafe. That'll go at the 15 watts. Um, Qi right now on even these new iPhones is still at 7.5 watts. Qi 2 will support faster charging, but until devices are certified, you're not going to get it. We fully expect the new iPhones to be certified whenever that happens, and then you'll be able to go with more standardized Qi 2 um, Qi 2 products, and then um, those will be supported with the faster charging. But out of the gate, uh, it's not there. Because of the USB-C, uh, another cool feature of the new iPhone 15s is that you can reverse charge. So you can use your iPhone kind of like a battery to, to charge other USB-C devices like AirPods or Apple Watch through the cable, and that charges at 4.5 watts. Um, Charging rates on the new iPhones over USB-C do still seem to be the same rate. They max out at 27 watts. There had been some early rumors that we might go to 35 watts. Uh, that did not happen. 
I don't know that that matters a whole ton, but you know, everybody likes to charge faster. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was an enhancement that just didn't come about. Uh, we talked about uh, the iPhone 15 Pro models having back glass that's easier to repair. That translated to a huge savings in the repair costs of the iPhone 15 Pro if you damage the back glass. So back glass replacement uh, on the iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max is $169 US or $199 US respectively. By comparison, if you have an iPhone 14 Pro or Pro Max, the fees are $499 and $549. Um, so huge difference in uh, in the repair cost for back glass. I, I can't believe that that's what that costs, but <laughs> there, <laughs> there it is. That's a little bit crazy. Um, we also got an update to AirPods Pro 2, uh, USB-C charging case. So getting rid of the lightning, going with USB-C Interesting to note here, at least currently, Apple is not separately selling a USB-C charging case for AirPods Pro 2. So if you have existing ones uh, and you want USB-C, you're going to have to buy some new ones. Um, And there's a couple of changes, one that I find a little bit annoying uh, with AirPods Pro 2. So there's now actually technically two versions of AirPods Pro 2. There's the ones prior to these announced, the USB-C and then there's the USB-C one. The USB-C ones have better dust ingress protection, so better dust protection, higher dust rating. But the worst part is that the USB-C AirPods Pro 2 are going to support Vision Pro lossless audio. The current ones don't. Um, So why that is uh maybe because of some of the new chips that are in there specifically maybe the ultra wideband chip not really sure um but if you want lossless audio support on vision pro with airpods you do need to get the new USB-C airpods pro 2 so just be aware of that um another interesting thing we talked about um the fact that you can now directly record from the iPhone 15 Pro over USB-C to a Mac or external storage device. Um, if you get the 128 gigabyte version of the iPhone 15 Pro, the maximum video recording uh, quality to internal storage is capped at 1080p, 30 frames per second uh, using ProRes. Uh, for every other model, if you have more storage, you can actually go directly to the inter- internal storage at 4K 60 frames per second. Um, if you need that on the 128 gigabyte model, you're going to have to go with saving directly to uh, a Mac or an external storage product. Um, so just be aware of that if you're looking at the entry-level iPhone 15 Pro and video recording quality Um makes a difference to you so it might be a reason to update or just bump up to the 256 gigabytes of storage um, there's also going to be USB-C ear pods so if you want those directly connected headphones and I do believe that those support lossless audio uh, because you're direct connected through USB-C so that might be a cheaper route uh, to get that support with your uh, with your Vision Pro maybe and um For anyone who still wants to use their lightning accessories with USB-C, Apple did create a dongle. There is a dongle for you. There's an adapter, $29 US. 
uh, and you can connect your uh, lightning accessories to your USB-C iPhone. Although I would just argue time to move over to USB-C. It's becoming universal standard for connectivity. And I think a lot of us already probably have a lot of USB-C devices and cables lying around. Um, non US iPhones uh, are going to continue to offer and support a physical SIM tray in the US. Uh, starting with the iPhone 14 models, we went to pure eSIM. Um, internationally, Apple is still supporting the SIM tray, which I think is good for uh, international travelers. And then um, a few other announcements, not directly related to uh, iPhones and Apple Watches, but uh, there is new iCloud storage tiers in the U.S. for the first time. So you can go beyond the two terabytes for $9.99 a month. Uh, Apple's going to offer, or is, is now offering a six terabyte storage tier and a 12 terabyte storage tier. Uh, U.S. $29.99 a month for six terabytes. $59.99 a month for 12 terabytes. So not exactly cheap. Um, basically, Apple just is, you know, charging $10 a month for every two terabytes you want. It's just you can only get certain certain levels, right? Six or two, six or 12. Um, if you want to look at the math that way. And that's kind of how I look at it. Uh, and then uh, they gave us an announcement date for Mac OS Sonoma. It is going to arrive on September 27th. As I mentioned, iOS 17, iPad OS 17, Watch OS 9, TV OS 17 are all here now. So you can update to those if you'd like and some nice new features and enhancements with those uh, that we've already discussed. And then uh, lastly, you know, the March of USB-C moves on. Mark Gurman came out and said, we fully expect USB-C versions of the Magic Mouse, Magic Trackpad, Magic Keyboard um, to be released probably alongside a new iMac. When that will happen, we are expecting a Mac event in um, October and maybe an iPad event, but it's looking more and more like a lot of this stuff is going to be happening next year. So uh, look forward to that. But that, that kind of wraps up everything that I wanted to talk about with the announcements. What do you think? What are you excited about? I know a lot of you are getting new iPhones and uh, very, very happy for you. Again, I think we're to the point where the release cycle or the upgrade cycle is going to slow down for a lot of people. Um, be curious to hear from those of you who maybe have been every year upgraders like myself and maybe have chosen to bypass this year and find out the reasons why. So if you have some feedback for me, shoot me an email, send me an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Um, before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and talk about a show sponsor, and that is Notion. So I think I already mentioned to you that I've been using Notion in a lot of ways to help me do research and organize topics for the show. Uh, the Notion AI is really, really helpful in kind of doing discovery and asking questions and getting more details and kind of pointing me in the right direction, and I love that. I've also created a library of code snippets, and I talked about how I use the power of Notion to help me write those snippets and, and kind of help me fine tune my code. And it's great because all of that's built in and it's right in line. But what is really, I think, amazing about Notion is that it lets you combine your notes and docs into one space and it is just really nicely designed. And it's got that power of the AI technology built right into it. It's not a separate tool. You don't have to go to a separate app. And that brings power. And for me, what that also means is that the app 
doesn't have to be used in the way I use it. It can be whatever you kind of need it to be. It really can adapt for all kinds of applications. So it's great for journaling. Uh, it's great for planning a trip, doing to-do lists, doing project management. And you can have all of that stuff in one place and neatly organized. And it's really, really great. And I kind of shared notion with my daughter who loves writing and it is a perfect writing tool, especially with the AI technology to help her do like world building and character development. We even used that AI to kind of help develop character backstories and help us with plot lines. And we never had to leave the app, which was really, really cool. So Notion AI helps you work faster, write better, think bigger, doing tasks that you normally take that normally take you hours doing that in just seconds. And Notion is always with you and available regardless of your platform or device. So try Notion AI for free when you go to Notion.com slash MacCast. That's all lowercase letters. Notion.com slash MacCast to try out the incredible power of Notion AI today. And when you use our link, you're supporting the show. So try Notion AI for free right now at Notion.com slash MacCast. And a big thank you to Notion for their support of the show. So we just talked quite a bit about the Apple event. Uh, the keynote is up and available to watch if you haven't watched it. Um, you know, it's the pre-recorded thing. Apple does a really nice job with that. They had a little skit in there and we're going to hear about that here in a second because um, obviously I gave you my opinions, but I'm already getting some great feedback from the community on the event. And so here's what Gary had to say uh, about how he felt the event went. Hey Adam, Gary. I wanted to bring some feedback to the MacCast. Um, I know, in, I think two shows ago, you asked about, like, how do we like the new format that Apple has for recorded and then played back live presentations um, versus the way they had before. I really preferred the older way. Um, I thought they had more energy and more interest, but it could be, you know, a number of factors where... You know, it was a different time and maybe the way we consume information about Apple is different. We, you know, largely in the, you know, MacCast community, I think we all probably follow a lot of what's going on. So we may not be surprised at all for anything that would be talked about. I do enjoy that there's some, you know, possible unpolished points in a live presentation I did, however, enjoy the Mother Nature skit that they did. I thought that was interesting and had a lot of um, um, interest by me. I thought it was um, pretty well done. So I thought that that was really fun. I wanted to comment on, you know, the products overall are, are look amazing. And one of the things that really stood out for me was the increased brightness on all of the devices. Um, I haven't really run into this on my Apple Watch. Um, however, I don't have the Ultra, um, and I do have iPhone 13 Pro Max. And I know, I think that one has a pretty bright screen. And I, I know that I've commented on this before. If you're out in the bright sunlight and you get the brightness of your screen, typically they go hand in hand with heat production. And the phone throttles that brightness down. And it doesn't actually reflect it in the software where you see the brightness level of the, the phone. 
So I would just wonder the heat management of an even brighter screen, how well that would be in bright sunlight, which typically is combined with a lot of heat. And I haven't tried iOS 17 on my phone. Um, however, it would be interesting to see if they've made adjustments so that way when it the, the software does automatically lower the brightness, if it would lower it in software to at least let you know this is being lowered for this reason. Um, the last kind of comment would be, I love the idea of these new woven materials. I've always been a leather case on my iPhone person. I'm interested to see what that material is like and see how it's held in your hand. And, you know, if it's, you know, as um, kind of grippy when you need it to be, but yet it slides into your pocket, you know, also. Um, so that's going to be um, something to look at. And then the titanium materials, um, I've always wanted to have a titanium kind of material iPhone and Apple Watch. They're on my radar screen, but they're pretty far off on the radar. Um, I think my Apple um, Watch Series 6 is going to hang around for a little bit longer. And my Apple Watch, oh, I'm sorry, my iPhone 13 Pro Max kind of hang out for a bit longer too. So thanks, Adam. Hey, Gary. Thank you. A lot of great feedback there. I think we're going to have to disagree on that skit a little bit, but that's okay. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I thought it was a little bit corny and a little bit drawn out for, in, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's what they have the ability to do. I appreciated that they had, um, you know, uh, Octavia Spencer in there. Uh, she's a great actress and I always enjoy seeing her, but yeah. That was that was an interesting part of the keynote, and I think it's a little bit divisive in the community. I'd love to hear from more people on that one. But I agree with a lot of your sentiment there in terms of the new materials, a lot of, like I said, interesting things in this keynote, and uh, a lot of nice little enhancements and updates. So interesting also to hear that you are also in my camp where it doesn't sound like you're rushing to upgrade this year. So Love to hear from more of you in the community. Any thoughts about, again, the new devices? You can talk about the keynote, whatever you might want to say. As always, shoot me feedback, maccast at gmail.com. I mentioned that the uh, new versions of iOS are out, and I received a question from Ryan this week. He is planning on getting a new iPhone 15 Pro. It's going to be his first in actually three years, so he'll be updating from... Uh, the iPhone 12 Pro, 12 Pro that he's currently rocking. So congratulations, Ryan, on your upgrade. This is going to be a nice one for you. Uh, when upgrading from year to year, he said he's always just transferred all of his data apps and settings to the new phone. And now he's wondering, is it time for a quote-unquote clean install, starting from scratch, reinstalling the apps, reconfiguring things, basically by hand, you know, starting all over to get back to that kind of fresh iPhone state. And so he wanted us to talk a little bit about the benefits of having a fresh start with any uh, advice that we might have for cleaning up our devices. And if you've been a listener to the MacCast for any amount of time, you probably know that I've always been a big proponent of doing clean installs on my Mac every couple of years, usually two to three years. I'll kind of clean, erase, wipe, and start from scratch with the operating system, reinstall apps, and 
that sort of thing. It's always kind of a big project and not a lot of fun to do, I will admit. But uh, I like having or have liked having that sort of clean fresh start. Uh, it's a good way to remove all the old craft and old software and stuff from your machine that you no longer need that just builds up over years and years, especially on Mac OS. Now, having said that, I think in recent years, I've changed a bit because I think the operating system has gotten better at managing a lot of that stuff. Also, just the file system, the underlying data structure. So APFS is just better at managing that stuff. I feel like it's becoming less and less an issue, especially with Apple Silicon. So my opinions on that are changing a little bit, specifically with macOS. And I've always felt kind of very differently about iOS, which is why I thought this was a great topic to bring up, Ryan. Um, the convenience of just having iCloud backups and then when you get a new device or phone, be it an iPad or an iPhone, uh, you know, just doing that whole tap, transfer, everything slides over, you're back up and running very, very quickly with all of your data, all of your apps, everything in place. That's just incredibly magical and convenient. And I'm willing to maybe have a little bit of cruft uh, for that experience. And so... I think it's okay on iOS to keep just doing the sort of transfer, transfer, transfer thing. Um, I feel like iOS is very much more siloed. It's a lot harder for data to spill all over the place. Not impossible, but I feel like it's much less of an issue and always has been less of an issue on iOS than macOS. But like I said, I'm even starting to feel that way uh, with macOS. My last couple of upgrades, I've just you know done the over over the top upgrade and things have been fine. So outside of that, then how do we kind of manage cruft and sort of all that extra data junk that might be around and might build up? And so I'll talk about a couple of things that I've been doing. I'm sure you in the community have some ideas on this and I look forward to hearing those. But uh, I started using the offload unused apps feature because I feel like on iOS, really it's app bloat <laughs> that we have problems with it's so easy to download an app and to try an app and maybe you use it for a while and then it falls out of favor or you just kind of forget about it right and apps just build up with all their junk and stuff like that so one thing i started to use was the offload unused apps feature so if you go into settings app store there's a toggle for offload unused app and if you turn that unused apps and if you turn that on what it will do is if you're not using that app so if that app has sort of fallen off your radar it will remove the app from your device um, but it will retain all of the documents and data for that so uh, basically if you want to use that app again like several years later you launch it, it will re-download the app quickly from the App Store and then just work because all of the data and documents are still there. So you still have some cruft, but at least gets uh, gets rid of the app storage, the, the amount of storage the app is taking up itself. And that's worked out really well. And you can tell which apps have been offloaded because they'll have a little download icon uh, next to the app name. So there's that. And, you know, I have to admit... Uh, the app library has not helped me with my app bloat, right? Because I have my phone set up. So by default, everything just goes into the app library and I really pull out of 
uh, into my main screens, just the apps that I use regularly on a regular basis. So those get elevated up into main screens, but then sort of everything else is just in the app library. And I use, you know, spotlight search, whatever, if I need to find an app that's in that library or go to the go to the library app. But consequently, that's out of sight, out of mind, right? So a lot of apps build up. So sort of this regular review. So that's the other half of this is, you know, reviewing those unused apps and just deleting them, right? Just getting rid of them. And the easiest way I found to do that is through iPhone storage. So again, go into settings, go into iPhone storage, and you'll have to wait a little while if you have a lot of apps for the list to build up. But once the list comes up, um, there's a sort column and you can sort by last used date. So last time you used that app, and then you can scroll all the way to the bottom. I don't think there's, I couldn't find a way to sort it. So if somebody knows how to reverse sort it, that would be great. But it's sorts by, you know, most recently used all the way back to the last used. So scroll to the bottom. And then you can see all of these apps that maybe you have installed that you haven't used. And what's nice about this view is it's a list view and you can do the swipe left to bring up the delete or offload button if you've enabled the offload feature. So you could just offload the app if you think, hey, I might come back to this app later. So I just want to get rid of the app itself, but keep all my documents and data. Or if you're really not using it anymore, consider just getting rid of it, right? Just delete it, get it off your phone, sort of clean it up yourself. So, you know, I would really recommend just kind of cleaning up apps. Uh, and then on the Mac, I do kind of something similar now. Um, there's lots of different ways to do cleanup on your Mac, lots of different tools for it. Um, anybody who's listened to the show for a while knows that Clean My Mac X is my favorite from MacPaw. Um, they're not currently a sponsor, but I will mention they've been a sponsor in the past, but I've been using the app for years and years. It is really incredible for just managing and cleaning up data and information on your Mac. I use the remove system junk feature. I use the feature for deleting old email attachments that I no longer need, uh, getting rid of trashed items. Uh, also, uh, it has great tools for finding and removing large files. Uh, I'll either just delete those if I'm not using them anymore, or more likely I often just archive them off to other storage. So that's like big old projects that I'm no longer using a lot of audio files that have just been lying around or video files, things like that. And then, uh, clean my Mac X also has a great uninstaller that'll go and grab not just the app. So, you know, you can go into your applications folder and just throw away the app, but a lot of apps have stuff in your library folder in application support. They may have extensions. They might have a bunch of other stuff that's strewn throughout your system. The uninstaller will help you get rid of those. But not only that, it also has an unused applications section and a leftovers section. So if you did delete an app in the past and it left behind a bunch of junk, um, it can find that stuff too. So I use that, you know, every couple months, maybe every three to six months to just kind of go through my system, clean up a lot of the cruft and all that stuff. And I do it that way now rather than the clean install. So when do we do a clean install, whether it be iOS or Mac OS, pretty much nowadays, I only wipe and start from scratch if I'm having really, really serious issues that no other troubleshooting steps can resolve. So it's really kind of my last ditch effort to save a system or save a thing. And to be honest with you, you know, knock on wood, that hasn't happened to me in a really, really long time. So things have been going relatively smoothly. I think 
you know, Apple has gotten very good with their latest updates and stuff like that. Yes, stuff still happens from time to time, but I feel like more and more these days, it's much more obscure stuff. I mean, I don't know if, I'm pretty sure emails to the MacCast are an indication, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about their system completely going down anymore, or, you know, it's more nuanced or obscure issues. I say that now, and now I'll probably hear from everybody who's like, my Mac's completely screwed up and the software update did it. And if that's you, I want to hear from you. So how about you? You know, are you doing clean installs? How are you managing and cleaning up data and stuff like that? Let us know your tips and tricks. Shoot me an email. Send me an audio comment. Maccast at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. So we discussed recently on the MacCast that Apple has a battery policy uh, in place that I wasn't aware of, um, and I think a lot of you weren't aware of, that uh, if you're having battery issues with, you know, the person who wrote in, it was an Apple Watch, but it could be any device, uh, and you want to get a battery replacement, you go into an Apple store, Um, Apple will not replace your battery if the battery health is at 80% or better. So you can go into your settings and you can check, you know, under battery, you can check your battery health. And if that number is not 80% or lower, Apple will refuse to replace the battery. It's just a policy that they have. It is stated on their website. I went and, you know, double checked this. And many of you had feedback to say, yeah, I had exactly the same experience. I went into an Apple store and my battery was at 82% or 84% or whatever it might be, and uh, they would not replace it. So if you're considering a battery replacement and you want to go to Apple, you're going to have to check that setting first, uh, do your own testing. Um, I did have one person who brought up an interesting recommendation because their daughter had issues with their battery draining very, very quickly, but the battery health was still showing better than 80%. And someone recommended, uh, try a different charger, uh, use a different charger. So I don't know if it was wireless charging or uh, direct charging, but uh, they tried a different charger and it resolved the battery issue. So I don't know if it just got in some weird state where with that particular charger, it was reporting 100% when it wasn't really at 100%. That kind of sounds like it is. So maybe if you have an off-brand or weird third-party charger, uh, you might try that. It could uh, you know, fix your battery issues. I don't think it's going to be the case for a lot of people, but it's worth trying. I mean, it's a simple, simple little fix. And so maybe that can help you get through the day with a battery that's you know, not at 100% health anymore. And then uh, another uh, cool tip was Jill wrote in and said, you know, I went in, uh, I was above 80%. I was like 83 and I just waited for a few more weeks and just kind of watched it and monitored it. And the minute that it got to 80, went right back in and got my replacement. In her case, it was an Apple watch. And there was kind of a side story to this. Uh, she had said that when she went in, the geniuses told her that one of the reasons they don't do it before 80% specifically, I don't know if this is specifically with just Apple watches. I would assume maybe just with Apple watches, but um, they told her that, well, it's because we actually don't replace the battery in your watch. We just replace the entire watch and send you a new one uh, or a refurbished one really. Um, and I, you know, I kind of questioned this cause it seems a little bit odd. I guess you could maybe check with the serial number or I don't know if they maybe transfer that part of the watch to the new rebuilt one. I, it just seemed like an odd thing. And maybe that is the policy. If you happen to be a genius and 
want to validate and verify this for me, let me know. I mean, I've seen, I did look and there are several reports online from people who are saying that, you know, when you send, you send it in, Apple just uh, swaps it out and then probably takes your watch and then uses it to rebuild another one. And maybe that's just for efficiency reasons. Uh, but it seems like they could just replace the battery too, right? They have tools. They have all those special tools and things to do that. So I'm taking that one with a grain of salt, but that's what they told her at the Apple store. Although, you know, I've heard many things said by geniuses that uh, aren't necessarily true. So be aware of that. I think many of you have had that experience as well. And then, uh, then finally, I have some audio feedback from Dean who actually found another scenario where Apple might not replace your battery. And so here's what Dean Here's what Dean discovered. Hi, Adam. It's Dean from Corrales, New Mexico. Love the podcast and have been listening for years. Just wanted to relate a recent Genius Bar experience at the Apple Store here in Albuquerque, the only Apple Store in the state of New Mexico. It's a pretty busy place, as you can imagine. Anyway, I went there this week to replace the battery in my iPhone 11. For the first time ever, I tried the iOS beta program and had a beta version of iOS 17 installed on the phone. I backed up the phone to iCloud with this beta installed in the morning before I left the house. At the store, I learned that Apple will not do a battery replacement or other major repair on an iPhone running beta software. As a result, they installed the latest version of iOS 16 on the phone. Two and a half hours later, the phone was ready for pickup. However, to restore from my backup, I had to download and reinstall the beta version of iOS 17, which took 40 minutes in the store. Then the phone had to be reset. And then finally, I was able to restore the phone from my morning backup. Your listeners may want to take note of this. Not a good idea to take an iPhone needing repair or battery replacement to the Genius Bar running beta software. Anyway, take care. Love the podcast as always. Hey, Dean, thank you for that. Yeah, that's been a policy of Apple's for years. I actually got caught with that one time uh, back in the day when uh, we didn't have a beta program for, but uh, you could get your hands on beta versions of the software. And uh, I went into an Apple store and I had literally forgotten that I was running a beta version of the of the operating system and handed them my phone and I kind of came back and they went, Nope, we didn't repair it. And they're like, why do you have this on? here?" (laughs) So that was fun. But uh, nowadays we can get public betas, but yeah, good to know that uh, you're not going to be able to get a repair without kind of restoring it back. And good point too, that, uh, you know, whatever version you're running, whatever version your backup is, you do need to be on that version to do the restore. So that that's a great bit of advice and just another area where you might want to be aware when you're taking your device in for repair. Another thing I talked about on the last episode of the MacCast was the fact that I have this aging Drobo that continues to work. It sounds like it's going to continue to work when macOS Sonoma comes out. We'll find out for sure here in a couple days. Uh, but I thought, you know, maybe it's time to replace my external storage. And there was a lot of response on this because I mentioned that I was looking at either a more traditional direct attached RAID system like the OWC Thunder Bay or going with a more traditional or I guess 
traditional may not be the word for that, but going with a NAS, a network attached storage device. You know, these are both viable options in this day and age. And I had kind of been leaning toward the Thunder Bay uh, doing direct attached because that's kind of what I have with my Drobo. And that OWC product is amazing. And it seems like many of you are in exactly the same camp. I had so many people write in and say, yeah, I replaced my Drobo with an OWC Thunder Bay and it has been awesome. So sounds like that's a great way to go for a lot of people. I have to admit, I have since the last episode kind of changed my mind and I do think I'm going to be going the Synology route uh, just because I have a pretty good home network now and I really think that um, I'm going to want to really leverage uh, Plaskin, the idea of having that over the network and not having to have a separate uh, Mac or device sort of driving that is appealing to me. So having that all in one box. Um, but another option for going uh, the direct attached RAID route is if you're a little more technical, like Paul, he emailed me and said, hey, I went uh, the DIY route and I was able to save myself some money. So he got a four bay icy box enclosure. I'll link to that in the show notes at MacS.com. And then rather than using a Mac, which you could totally use an old Mac for this, but he ended up using a Raspberry Pi 4 to run it headless using open source RAID management software called, I think it's MD Admin, M-D-A-D-M. Um, so he's using that and he says, that's great. Cause it allows me to use other Raspberry Pi apps like Plex. And so I can run Plex on that and do all the things that I want to do. And it saved me some money. It's a little less expensive if you want to DIY your own RAID system and Raspberry Pis are amazing. I've used them as you know, if you've been listening to the show for HomeKit stuff, uh, using Homebridge and they're amazing for that. So you could also use, you know, that for Homebridge and Plex and, uh, and your, your RAID storage. So great way to go on that one. And, uh, then Harry wrote in, uh, and said, Hey, I went the Synology route um, but something you might want to think about when you're looking at a NAS or any sort of product that's going to be on all the time is the energy usage. He has a Synology DS920 Plus and says it runs at about 40 watts per hour. Um, that might not sound like a lot of electricity, but he said, hey, I know when the war in the Ukraine started, energy prices went way, way up. And now if I look at what it costs, the Synology... It runs me about 400 euro a year if I leave it on 24-7. So he's been looking at power management, shutting it down more, um, you know, and that may not be viable if you're going to use it for something like Plex and you kind of want this always on, always available system. Or for me, like with a NAS, it's going to be backup. So I need it to be available and be able to be backed up whenever I want. But many of these systems do offer power management or low power modes. So those are things you might want to explore. You can do timed things where they turn off maybe in the middle of the night when it's not doing anything and turn back on in the morning. So just something to think about. I thought that was a great bit of advice. So a lot of great feedback on NAS and direct attach RAID storage. If you have more of that, keep it coming. MacCast at gmail.com. And then the last thing that I have for you today is really something that I think I need the MacCast hive mind for. I, I really need your help with this question because it came up and um, I'm with Jose who brought up this question in that it's very confusing 
on what is going to work and what is not going to work for this. And what it is, is Jose is wanting to update his time machine drive to get more storage and to be able to maintain a longer version history. So he's going to be going from 500 gigabytes or 500, yeah, 500 gigabytes to five terabytes. So like massively expanding his storage. And he asked me, how do I transfer my existing backups to the new drive so I can maintain my history? And my answer is I have no idea. (laughs) And I don't like to say that on the MacCast. I did a lot of research on this and very, very confusing because one answer is, and I found this great article from our friends at Clean My Mac X uh, that explains how to do it, right? And I dove into this and it was like, okay, format the drive, as Mac OS extended journaled with a GUID partition map as the first step. And I went, wait a minute, that's, that's old. You know, we'd want to do APFS. So that was the first indicator that sounds like this used to work at some point, <laughs> probably when we had Mac OS journaled uh, systems before APFS. And uh, so you could do that. You could do that. You could format the new drive. You could go into time machine in older versions of the operating system and disable it. Uh, and basically turn it off, disable the automatic backup. And then you could connect your new drive. You could transfer the backups.backupdb file. So everything was kind of in a single folder. Copy that over to the new drive. Uh, you'd have to enter admin credentials and blah, blah, blah. You'd set up, then you'd connect to the new drive, set it up with Time Machine, and it would kind of pick pick everything back up. If you look at a time machine drive now, especially if it's APFS, you're going to notice that you have a bunch of different files and folders in there. And all of those are connected with uh, kind of various linking and things under the hood. That's all a little bit mysterious with APFS. I mean, if you want to get really technical, we get into it, but I I don't think we want to go down that route because this will be a you know, five hours show, uh, maybe someday, <laughs> maybe you can convince me to do that, but I don't want to do that right now. Point is it is different and you can't just clone it. You know, it needs to be kind of set up in a very specific way. So it's not really clear exactly how you do this. Now, one article I found sort of alluded that what you'd want to just do is connect the new time machine backup with your existing one set it up and it will back up to both and the what it implies is that it'll bring over the history which kind of makes sense you know that it's that simple you just connect a new drive and uh then let it run and it will kind of bring everything over to that new drive and then you can just switch over to using that one whether that's true or not, I have not had the ability to test because as you might imagine, that's going to take a long time. So that's kind of my next step unless someone in the community says, yep, I did that and that totally works. It'll bring over all the historical indexing and then you can move on from there. So we'll keep researching on that. That might be an option here. But honestly, I think the best option is just start from scratch. I mean, plug in the new drive and just let it go from the day you plug it in forward and don't really worry too much about that last stuff. I don't know. This has always been my opinion on time machine. For me, time machine is not as much about going back and getting old stuff. I mean, that's a nice feature. I kind of consider it a bonus feature, but 
it's really about backing up the stuff that I have. So for example, like if I go in and delete a folder, my assumption when I delete that folder is that it's gone forever, that I am deliberately saying, I want to get rid of this and I'm not expecting to get it back. And that's just my mindset. Time Machine allows me to go back and get that. That is awesome. If it's not there, well, guess what? I deleted it, right? Um, And I know there's the things of like accidental deletion and maybe you do something you didn't intend to do and, and stuff happens, right? And so Time Machine is great for that. But relying on that, I'm not sure that's the way to go. And so, you know, having a secondary backup, having additional archives, all these things that we've talked about, um, you know, with Backblaze, I can go back in my history all the time and I don't really have to worry about that. And that's online and they handle that and they manage it. And so uh, if I really needed to go back and get a file, that's probably where I'm going to turn versus Time Machine. I mean, Time Machine is nice because it's local and it's convenient and it's right there. But if I didn't find it there or if that was lost, I have another backup. I have another place that I can go get that. So that's sort of the tact that I take. And the other thing is you could uh, connect your new time machine drive and then just keep the old one around for the history. You can always bring that back, reattach it and browse back through the history on that one. So you could go that route as well. So there are some options here. I don't know that there is a clean way to actually transfer uh, backup history from one time machine to another anymore. Um, and we'll do more research. And hopefully again, you, the hive mind of the Mac, cast community has the answer for us and if you do we'll share that on a future episode of the MacCast. so stay tuned but with that that is going to do it for now until next time no we're not there yet <laughs> that is going to do it for now but uh, before i leave you i do want to take a moment and i want to thank a couple supporters Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising in the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments and questions to uh, MacCast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-I-AM-9. Yeah, we still have a voicemail, folks. <laughs> you can use it and it will record. Uh, just note it limits you to three minutes. Uh, and then uh, if you need show notes, links to anything that I talk about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you can find those on the website. That's at MacCast.com. And if you want to follow me on social media, you'll find me on Twitter X, whatever it's called these days, Twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at Facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. Now, that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.